20 years ago last week, on July 1st, 2002, Time Magazine had this cover. And it said, said, the Bible and the apocalypse, why more Americans are reading and talking about the end of the world. And they were trying to explain the increased curiosity about when and how the world might come to an end. Who in the world is the Antichrist? What does 666 mean? Uh, Will there be a great battle of Armageddon? Why the popularity of the Left Behind series? And Time Magazine, of all things, puts this on their cover article. Well, here we are 20 years later, and it it seems like it's some similar kinds of feelings in in our culture. I've heard a number of, had a number of conversations with friends recently who are asking things like, do you think we're nearing the end? Uh, what's happening in the world? And it seems almost, for me, it seems almost like going back to the late 80s when conversations about 88 reasons why Jesus was going to return in 1988, all those things were happening. But there does seem to be an increasing insecurity and anxiety among people and the degree of fear and I think people really do feel like our world is unraveling in a way that we haven't experienced for the last few decades and we're wondering what's the world what's the world coming to as followers of Christ excuse me We want to make sense of it as well. But when we look out and see things that are happening, a lot of things just don't add up, do they? And we question, is is God really in control? A worldwide virus, global supply chain problems, economic slowdown, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, which could easily plunge us into World War III, Uh, sexual revolution of the likes we've never seen before, And things look like they have careened off course and are totally out of control. And when we try to read the Bible about it, at times it's just so confusing. I mean, Aaron's been thinking for two years to start preaching on the book of Revelation, right? But, uh, and then COVID hit. He had his first message planned for the, the first week of COVID. And so he still hasn't pulled it out. I hope you will. Aaron, because we, we need to know what the Bible... But the revelation, uh, revelation is confusing, right? All that apocalyptic... And so sometimes we just stay away from it trying because it's too hard. Now, we do have the record of God's great acts of power and deliverance in the Old Testament. So we see how God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, the most powerful kingdom in the world, brought them out, decimated the Egyptians. Then he takes this little nation of ragtag slaves and turns them into one of the leading nations in the ancient Near East, a time of great peace and prosperity under King David and Solomon. But the rest of the Bible seems to record little victories for God's people followed by disastrous defeats, both morally and politically. And it seems that we've been in that cycle maybe for the last four to 6,000 years and we start wondering, are we, are we just stuck in an endless loop? Is this ever going to change? 
For the last several years as a family, we've driven out to Texas for our family vacation. It's a long drive, uh, at least 15 hours, and often longer depending on stops or um, construction or accidents and things like that. But the anticipation of seeing Carol's sister and brother-in-law and our kids being with their cousins, it makes the drive well worth it because we're envisioning a wonderful time together at the other end, a beautiful vacation home where we'll be, the pool right out the back door, 10 steps later on the water. There really is a lot to look forward to on that long drive. It's a definite and desirable destination, and so that destination helps us to endure and even enjoy the 15 hours or more of being stuck in the car together. But imagine if we told the kids, uh, hop in the car, we're going on vacation, but didn't tell them where. And after we've been driving for about three hours, John says, haven't we been here before? Haven't we seen this before? Where are we? And I tell, we're on 285. This is our fourth lap around. Isn't this great? We're going on vacation. Obviously, that would be a very frustrating and meaningless trip on vacation. We don't know where we're going, repeating the same old thing. And sometimes the world feels that way, doesn't it? Haven't we been here before? Is anything ever going to change? Does the Bible give us clarity on this question? Or is it so confusing and difficult to understand that no one really knows where the world is going and what the world's coming to? Well, one of our book studies this summer was the book God's Big Picture, by Vaughn Roberts, and Aaron led about six or seven of us, and really some very encouraging and, and provocative discussion together in this book. As you know, the Bible is made of 66 separate books, right? 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, 40 different authors written over the period of 1,500 years. And at first reading, it looks like just a disconnected collection of stories about this and that and no real continuity to it and oftentimes we we start reading and we just that's all we feel it's very difficult to see how everything connects but it's not disconnected it's it's one story with a unifying theme from genesis all the way to revelation and the point when that's the point of this book god's big picture the storyline of the bible and what Von Roberts argues, as well as many others, is that the primary theme that unifies the whole Bible is the kingdom of God. And he defines the kingdom of God in this way. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And he traces that all the way through the scriptures. And he says this. You give us that next quote there. That quote there, Braden. The kingdom of God. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. That may sound like an overly simplistic definition for such a significant theme in scripture. But the simple words contain great depth. God longs for human beings to enjoy an intimate relationship with him in his presence. As he is a perfect, holy God, that is possible only as we submit to his loving rule 
and do not sin. That is life at its best. Life as it was designed to be lived. To live under God's rule means to enjoy God's blessing. The two go together. And when we start the very beginning of the Bible and with the creation story, we see that in the Garden of Eden, don't we? Adam and Eve living God's people in God's place, the Garden of Eden, living under God's rule and blessing. But very quickly, they disobey. They forgo his blessing. The, con- the consequences are devastating, not just for them, but for the entire created order. God could have ended it all right there, right? Could have just ended it all. We're done. But God in his love and grace promised to put things right again and to reestablish his kingdom on earth. And so the rest of the Bible tells the story of God's, God's redeeming plan to restore what originally he had created and intended, but what had been lost. That was partially restored in Israel's history in the Old Testament period, and then perfectly through Jesus Christ in the New Testament period in which we are living now. So the Bible is about God's plan of salvation, God's kingdom, and his promise to restore that kingdom, and then the fulfillment of that promise. So Von Roberts gives us eight major sections of the Bible, or eight aspects of the kingdom of God. And Braden, if you can put up the next. So I've got these in two slides, if you can sort of follow along. So, so the... Um, and th- this will all be on the website as well, I, I believe. It will be posted there. So the, fir- the first section or, or um, phase of the kingdom is the pattern of God's kingdom. Genesis 1 and 2, the creation account. And what we see there, what God intended when he created humanity. When he created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden. God, they had a perfect environment Perfect harmony in everything they encountered. Perfect harmony in their relationship with God. He came and spoke with them, it appears, daily. Perfect harmony with one another. No sin, no stress, no conflict between them as husband and wife. Can you imagine that? Boy, what a glory. Perfect harmony with the created order. So everything was in perfect harmony for them. God's people in God's place living under his rule and blessing. The second phase was the perished kingdom. Of course, that's the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And the root of that fall was Adam and Eve's sinful rebellion. And the fruit of it has affected everything ever since then. All the brokenness that we see in our world today grows out of that one act of Adam's sin, Adam's rebellion. Very quickly, that first sin led to the first murder. Cain kills Abel, and then Cain kills Abel. And then so much evil spreads to the world that by Genesis chapter 6, God is prepared to wipe out all mankind except for Noah and his family because of the spread of evil. So the whole world has been plunged into sin and, and brokenness and groaning because of Adam and Eve's Adam and Eve sinned way back in Genesis chapter 3. Paul says in Romans, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin that spread to everybody. He says in chapter 8 of Romans that the entire creation is groaning 
from that time, because of that sin, groaning, waiting for redemption. The next phase of the kingdom that Von Roberts mentions is the promised kingdom. Genesis chapter 12, and this is the promise that God gave to Abraham. He chose one man and said, I'm going to make a people out of you. I'm going to make you into my treasured people. And then through you, I will bless all the nations, all the peoples of the world. And that was the promise to Abraham. And then the partial kingdom, phase four, was the development of those people into the nation of Israel. And this this phase covers over a thousand years in the Old Testament, from Genesis chapter 12 all the way through Second Chronicles. This is the history of the Israelite people. How they came, God rescued them out of Egypt, turned them into a people. He gave, so that, that was the people of God. Then he gave them the law at Mount Sinai. They are living under his rule. They gave them, he gave them the land of Canaan. They're in his place, the promised land. And then he blessed them with peace and prosperity under the reign of David and Solomon. Tremendous prosperity and peace for the nation of Israel. So many of the promises to Abraham and their forefathers are fulfilled here in the partial kingdom in in that period. But the story doesn't go on that way, does it? And you know, even their greatest kings had severe failings. King David commits adultery with Bathsheba, then murders Bathsheba's husband Uriah. David, a man after God's own heart. And yet, he failed greatly. King Solomon, the wisest man in the world. And yet, in his later life, he abandoned the Lord to follow the gods and idols of his 300 wives. These great kings. The Lord does great things to them. And yet. They aren't going to accomplish the promises. That God has. After Solomon. The history of Israel is a roller coaster ride. Periods of obedience. Followed by disobedience and apostasy. And as, the, as there's less and less obedience. And more and more apostasy. Then there are the warnings of the prophets. If you don't repent, you're going to be destroyed and carried into into captivity. And sure enough, eventually the destruction of the northern kingdom by the Assyrians in 722. And then in 586 thereabouts, the southern kingdom was crushed by Babylon and carried into captivity. So at the end of this period, Jerusalem is destroyed. The people are scattered. And the nation is no more. So where are the people of God now? Well, this leads to the fifth phase. And this is the prophesied kingdom. The period of the prophets from Isaiah all the way through Malachi. And they begin to point people to a new leader, a new new king. So they're carrying on the promises, but pointing to a time in the future when God will restore his people in his place under his rule and blessing. And their world was a mess, wasn't it? You think about if they had been in the northern kingdom, decimated, people carted off, sent everywhere. If they're in the southern kingdom, most of them, a lot of them had taken to Babylon in captivity. 
So their world was a mess. But God kept reiterating his past promises and pointing them to a time when he would still fulfill all his promises. And what I'd like to do here is take some time and just read some of these promises in the book of Isaiah. So open your, book, your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. And I hope as we read through these that, okay, picture yourself in their time. Picture yourself carted off to Babylon. Or picture yourself even now in the middle of our time when stuff, it, things don't look good right now in, in our world, do they? So picture that and listen to these promises of God. And we don't need to be confused thinking, what do these mean? A lot of them are very clear. They're very clear. Picture them. God promising us what he is going to do for his people. So Isaiah chapter 9, we'll start with this one in verse 6 and 7. Very familiar. Isaiah says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. How would you feel... If God told us in 2024, this man is going to be our president, would that be amazing? To rule in righteousness and peace, a wonderful counselor, justice for everything. Someday he will rule. That is God's promise to us. That was God's promise back in Isaiah's day. That's God's promise to us today. Turn to chapter 11 of Isaiah. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. There will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, that's the family of David, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the, in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Imagine if Jesus Christ, who is, the, who is prophesied in this passage, appeared today and put a halt to the Russian invasion he eradicated every form of racism in our country. He brought righteousness for every poor person who was treated unjustly. And he vindicated and rescued every Christian suffering persecution around the world. In Nigeria, under Boko Haram, in communist countries, in North Korea, in Muslim countries. Imagine if this happened. Brothers and sisters, it will happen. Verse 4 goes on, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. 
Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Someday this will be true. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One day, brothers and sisters, hopefully soon, every word here in Isaiah 9 will come true. Turn to chapter 25. Chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. What is that veil? What is that covering? Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I was talking with Byron a little bit before the service, just in caring for his aging mom. A lot of us have aging parents, or we've watched a loved one pass away. Someday that will be no more, brothers and sisters. There will be no more death. That process of watching someone we love just deteriorate will be done. God will wipe that away. He will swallow up death forever. Isaiah 65. Chapter 65, verses 17, toward the end of the chapter. Isaiah 65, 17. God says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping, the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. 
They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. They shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Brothers and sisters, one day, hopefully soon, every word in this passage will come true. God promised these things from the very beginning and throughout the Old Testament. I'm going to look at one more passage in Daniel chapter 9, chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7. By the time we get to Daniel 7, there had already been several dreams and visions in the book of Daniel. And you probably remember a lot of them from your reading or from children's ministry. But one of them was a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had about this great statue. The head was made of gold, and that represented the nation of Babylon. The, the arms and chests made of silver, which represented the nation of Medo-Persia. And then the middle and thighs of bronze, which represented Greece, and then the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay representing the Roman Empire. And then in his dream, he saw a rock not cut with human hands coming out down out of the out of the hills, came and just crushed this massive statue. And then that rock became a mountain and filled the whole earth. So with that background, and then Daniel has a dream in chapter 7 of four terrifying beasts, which again represented the kingdom of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And in Daniel chapter 7, look at verse 9. So in the middle of this terrible vision, And if, if Daniel had lived, say, 100 years ago, perhaps his vision would have been about communist Russia, four nations, communist Russia, Nazi Germany, Red China, and the United States. That may have been, those may have been the four nations that he spoke of in his vision. So think about that. And then in chapter 7, verse 9, Daniel writes, as I looked in my dream, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. So in the middle of the Babylonian Empire and the Medo-Persian Empire and the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire, God, the Ancient of Days, is on his throne ruling all of this. Then in verse 11, Daniel looked because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. This is the fourth beast that he had in his dream. And I looked and the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season of time. Then Daniel says this, I saw in the night visions, 
And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion. So the middle of these great nations and kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, the Greek, Greek empire, the son of man comes. To him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And the angel explains to Daniel the meaning of of this dream and talks. He says in verse 22 that judgment will be given for the saints of the Most High and the time will come when they possess the kingdom. And then verse 27, the kingdom and the dominion. He's in the middle of Babylon here at this time. In captive in Babylon, and God says, the kingdom and dominion, the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So here in this, back to the Prophetic, go back to our chart there, Braden, the second one. Yeah, in the prophesied kingdom, so God, the same, same promises God had started, same intention God had started with in the garden. He is promising these things will come true. He's pointing to a time when all of them will be fulfilled. Then between the Testaments, the Old and New Testaments, there's the 400 silent years. And then the next phase of the kingdom is the present kingdom, which is in the Gospels, when Jesus the King is present here with us on earth. The King is here, the promised Son of David. He's present with us, so surely now everything will be fulfilled, right? Well, it wasn't fully fulfilled. It was partially fulfilled in Christ, but this was more like a a preview, a movie preview, the full movie was yet to come but here's the preview here's the trailer this isn't the grand conclusion yet it's the inbreaking of the kingdom of god but not the final culmination of it jesus gave foreshadowings of what the ultimate kingdom would be when he healed the sick and gave the blind sight and raised the dead and all that was a foreshadowing what his ultimate kingdom would certainly be. But then he died and rose again and returned to heaven in 33 AD. And so the the next period from 33 AD to the present is what Von Roberts calls the proclaimed period through Acts and the Epistles when we have the opportunity and responsibility to proclaim the gospel, to spread the gospel throughout the world so that people from all nations may come and know Jesus Christ. And then finally we get to the eighth phase of the kingdom, the perfected perfected kingdom, the culmination of all things in Revelation chapter 22, 21 and 22. Turn there with me, Revelation 21 and 22.
And here's what struck me as we worked our way through this book together. All of history, from the very beginning, particularly from the fall in Genesis chapter 3, all of history has been going in this direction. Brayden, put up that um, graphic there. What God did in Eden and then we forfeited since then, all of history is going back to the reestablishment of the perfect kingdom. So through the time, the Old Testament history, through the prophetic hope of the prophets, the birth and coming of Christ, it's all pointing to his second coming and his return and the promises of Revelation 21 and 22. Von Roberts gives this illustration. He says, imagine you're walking on the coast, looking out to sea, and you notice a girl swimming not far from the shore. And then, to your horror, you see a shark approaching her. You shout for help, but, but nobody listens. Others around you see what's happening, but they're completely unconcerned. You run around the corner to try to get some help, and there you see a big black chair with one word written on the back of it in capital letters, Director. A man sits on it with a loud voice shouting instructions through a megaphone. You heave a sigh of relief. You stumbled on a, on a film set. The director has everything under control. And if we could have that sense in the middle of our world, in the middle of the war in Ukraine, the suffering in our own individual lives, all the difficulties we go to, if we could have that sense that the director is in control and everything is working right according to his plan. It would change the way we live our lives, right? Everything is leading toward this grand conclusion. And in Revelation chapter 20 and 21 and 22, let's read here again. Brothers and sisters, let's make these promises our hope and our confidence. God promises that this is what will happen. Hopefully very soon. Revelation 21. John writes. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth. Had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. From God prepared as a bride. Adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice. From the throne saying behold. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And this new heavens and new earth will come to our earth, brothers and sisters. And verse 4 says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Isaiah 65, Isaiah 25, right? Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Slide down to verse 9 in chapter 21. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me, saying, Come. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down 
out of heaven from God. This is the bride of Christ, the church, all of God's people, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Isn't it interesting that the very beginning of the Bible, there is the first wedding, Adam and Eve, and here, at the very end, there is the ultimate wedding, Christ and his bride being united forever, God's people in God's place under his rule and blessing. John goes on to explain just the, the glory and the beauty of the New Jerusalem, which is the bride of Christ. And then in verse 22, he says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it to the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Brothers and sisters, if you, if you are trusting in Christ, and if you're not, if you will put your trust in Jesus, this is your future. This is your eternal future. This is our hope. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. The tree of life. The garden has now become the eternal kingdom. The tree of life yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. Brothers and sisters, we will see the face of God. Everything we're living for and hoping for now will be fulfilled in ways infinitely beyond what we can imagine. Night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Chris, if you and the band want to come up. So what is the world coming to, brothers and sisters? Human civilization, the world is not on an endless loop around I-285. God is directing all things to a predetermined end, a grand culmination, a glorious eternity for all who trust in Jesus and put their hope in him. Every one of the events and things that we are going through today in our world, that you're going through personally, is being directed by your sovereign heavenly father toward one grand culmination. For sure, through many tribulations, we will let, must enter the kingdom of God. Paul said that on his first missionary journey. That was Discipleship 101 for Paul and those early Christians. The Christian life is tough. But when we get there, two seconds in his presence will make it all worth it. 
In Matthew 25, Jesus said this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and then he will sit on his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he'll separate them one from another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he'll put the sheep on his right hand, the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God's plan has not changed, brothers and sisters. From the very beginning, it's been heading to this grand culmination. And God says to you, Jesus Christ says to you, come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Isn't that incredible news? What's the world coming to? It's coming exactly what God intended in the very beginning of time. The end result will be all that God purposed for us in the Garden of Eden, all that he promised to us through the Old Testament, all that he previewed for us in the first coming of Christ. It's not an easy path. But here's another amazing statement that Jesus said to his disciples, and he says it to you, to us. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, he is not reluctant to give us all that he has prepared for his people. We will finally and forever be there, God's people, in God's place, under God's rule and blessing. So don't settle for anything else. Don't put your hope. Don't invest your life in this world. Yes, we live here. Yes, we have so many blessings. But don't set your heart on anything short of Christ's perfect eternal kingdom, brothers and sisters. Because in His presence, and His presence alone, there is fullness of joy. And at His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Let's stand and sing together.